we've given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, good morning, church. My name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here at Lake Forest Westlake. And boy, uh, man, what an incredible morning. Can you believe it? Did you just... I just I walked outside and said, it's September all over again. This is just heaven. Isn't that incredible? Just beautiful, beautiful. I hope you were able to enjoy a little bit of that this morning. Uh, well, we're continuing today in our series, Word to the Wise. Uh, Word to the Wise. We are studying the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a book in the Bible that is not rules nor regulations nor even history, but rather practical guidelines for living life at its best. This wisdom is over 3,000 years old, but some of these verses speak as if they were written for our very day and time. Today we come to a topic that affects all of us, uh, but one that we don't often stop to give much attention to, much thought to. Something that if we get it right, has the power to bring joy and satisfaction and purpose to our lives. But, But if we get it wrong... It has the power to totally upend our lives. Today, I want to talk with you about the role, about the importance of friendship, of friendship. Now, this word friend has gone through quite a metamorphosis in the last decade. Uh, In fact, when we use the word friend, we aren't exactly sure what we mean by that anymore, do we? Uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, When I was a kid, we used to make friends. Did anybody remember making friends? You don't make friends anymore. Now you just friend people. Did you know friend's a verb? You, you friend people. You can unfriend people, right? I, I typed in the word friending, and my word doc did not correct the spelling. Apparently, friending is now an official verb in the English language. I was looking on Facebook. In fact, Facebook says that I personally have 1,651 friends. I'm a pretty likable guy. <laughs> I started counting, and I quit at 300 friends that I have that I have not actually ever met. <laughs> so you don't even have to make friends anymore. You can just click and they are yours. Now, I got to thinking about the whole Facebook thing. And I, I look, I'm pro social media. You guys know I'm going to pick a little bit on social media. But, you know, I, I love social media. I use it. We use it as a church. I think it's a tool. We got to be careful. About it. But, you know, I'm not anti-social media. But I was thinking about it. What would it be like if God had an account? Now, I don't mean like, I'm sure somebody has an account that says God. I don't mean that. I mean, if the real God, the one true living God had an account, what would his Facebook account say? Like, what's his, his relationship status? What, like, in relationship, Trinity, you know, like Father, Son, Spirit, or, uh, or his, his, job, his job description, like Chief Architect Designer at Universe.inc or something, right? Was, uh, and that's thing, what kind of post would God do? Like what kind of, you know, if he was just on a Friday, would he post TGIF or would he post TMIF? Thank me, it's Friday. <laughs> I mean, just got to thinking about this kind of stuff. A little strange, you know. Um, it's fun to laugh about. And we laugh because we all get that on some basic level, a friend online is not the same thing as a real friend, right? We, we kind of intuit, even though we use the same word. We intuit that there is a friend, and then there is such a thing as a real friend. This is actually amazing to me. I was doing some research on this true story. Uh, y'all think I make this stuff up. You go and, and look this up. Burger King, a couple years ago. Y'all know Burger King? Home of the Whopper. Right? How many Whopper fans out there? Yes. All right, good, good. Whopper fans. Uh, Burger King did a promotion a little while back where they actually, on Facebook, if you would unfriend 
10 of your friends, you would get a coupon for a free Whopper. Now, how much, you know, Whopper costs $3.80, get this right, $3.80, oh, sorry, $3.70, $3.70. So, so they thought, okay, this, this might be worth it, you know, it'd be interesting to see people do this. It was so popular, Burger King had to pull the promotion when they crossed 250,000 people. That's how many people were willing to just throw their friends under the bus for a free Whopper, right? Which sort of then begs the question, get this, begs the question, how much is a Facebook friend really worth? You do the math, turns out a Facebook friend is worth 37 cents. 37 cents is how much a Facebook friend is worth right there. Well, 3,000 years ago, one of the wisest people to ever live, a man named Solomon, summarized friendship, real friendship, in this way. We have it in the book of Proverbs. Listen to what he writes in Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends. The Hebrew there can also be translated a multitude. Right? Think Facebook here. One who has unreliable, a multitude of friends, soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other words, we all know what fickle friendships feel like. But the scriptures teach, the scriptures suggest that there is a kind of friendship, a kind of relationship, a kind of bond that is unlike any other, closer than a brother. And I don't know about you, but in this day and age, in the midst of 1,651 friends on Facebook, you know the kind of friend I really long for? A friend that is closer than a brother. That's what I long. So today, as we talk about friendship, I want to give you my definition. This is Aaron's definition in a world where we don't really know what a friend is. This is Aaron's definition, and I'm going to try and demonstrate this to you today. Here's my definition for what a friend is. A friend is someone who accepts me, who knows me, and who is committed to what is best for me. A real friend is someone who accepts me, who knows me, and who is committed to what is best best for me. And isn't that the kind of friend you want? Isn't that the kind of friendship we all want? I got to confess up front, uh, friendship is a bit of a mystery to me. I was thinking about just how did I form friends throughout my life? When did I learn how to do friendship, how to make friends that really last? And I honestly couldn't put my finger on it. But I know this, I know that the reason I value it so much is because there was a whole season in my life when I lived without it. I didn't really have a real friend my own age until my sophomore year of high school. I moved to a new town and I was as lonely as I had ever been, but I didn't really know it. It would have been beyond my self-awareness or maybe rather beyond my pride to admit that I was lonely. But then one fall, I met this kid named Kevin. Kevin invited me into his circle. I don't know why. I didn't deserve it. He just invited me in. One month, I did not have a friend. And then the next month, I did. I don't know how it happened. I just know that it changed my life forever. And it has given me a deep hunger for this thing called friendship that has never left me. So today, so today, I'm not going to give you four easy steps to friends or, hey, I've got a box of friends. Just come up here. I'll give you one at the end of the service. That's something. Today, I want to look at four proverbs, these, these 
bits of wisdom from 3,000 years ago that speak to this very issue and see if we might discern something, if you might hear something today, a nudge from the Spirit of God that might have something to say about friendships in your life. Four Proverbs, four lessons on friends. We ready? Woo, we ready? Okay, I just had to check. Y'all were like sleeping on me. Holy cow, here we go. All right, number one, number one. First, first thing we're going to learn about friends from the Proverbs is this, that your friends determine your future. Your friends determine your future. As one author puts it this way, you show me your friends and I'll show you your destiny. Don't you love that? Now, as we get started, I want, I want you to hear something here. I want you to do something. I want you to think for a moment. Who are the closest friends in your life right now? Take out your connection card. Take out a pen. I'm going to make you do this, so don't sit there and think I'm just, this is rhetorical. Take out a pen. Take out the card. I want you to think, who are the closest friends? And you can write their initials if you're self-conscious about this, or you write their names. Take a minute. Write down who are the closest friends in your life right now. I can see some of y'all not writing. <laughs> As you're writing, I want to tell you something about this. Right? Keep going. Keep going on that. Something that sociologists and leadership experts have been telling us for years, and that is this. Get this. Here's the principle. That you are, did you know this? You are the average of your five closest friends. Right? You are the average of your five closest friends. Chances are, in your life, when it comes to wealth, to physical fitness, to your golf score, you are probably somewhere in the middle of your five closest friends. You are the average of the five closest people to you. Now, even if this isn't something that you knew, though you probably did already, even if you didn't know this, it's something that your parents knew when you were growing up, right? I mean, this is the reason why your parents freaked out all the time about the friends you were hanging out with. In fact, some of you, your parents actually moved out of your neighborhood to get you away from those friends, right? They, they changed schools on you to get you into a new friend group. Your parents knew this. And you thought, man, my parents are crazy. You're like, what's the big deal? Mom, we're just going to, we, we just want to go. Why can't I go spend the night at their house? I mean, it's, it's really awesome. Their parents are never there. and We can do whatever we want. And your mom's like, you just answered your own question. See, your parents freaked out because they know this to be true. That your friends will determine your future. They will. It's just a fact. We become like those with whom we spend the most time. Now listen to how the proverb, how Solomon worded this 3,000 years ago. Man, this guy was smart. Listen to this. He writes this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Let's read that aloud together. Read with me. Ready? Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now there's a promise in this verse and there is a warning in this verse. Let me talk about the promise first. The promise is this. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. You want to become wise, Solomon says, just surround yourself with wise people. Why? Because you're the average of the five closest to you. You see how that works, right? You want to be a little bit smarter? Hang out with smarter people. You want to be wiser? Hang out with wise people. Solomon says, you want to become a wise person? You want to learn to live life at its best? Then spend time with other wise people. For example... 
If, if you aren't very good at managing money and you want to become better at managing money, spend time with people who know how to manage their money. Uh, if you want to uh, have a stronger marriage, right, you, you, then hang out with people who have the kind of marriage you want to have. You see how this works? Spend time with others. If you want to grow spiritually, you need to spend time with others who are walking with God. This is just how it works. You are the average of the five closest. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. That's the promise. And we kind of get that, don't we? Like, we, yeah, okay, Aaron, I, I have to admit, that's true. I mean, I know that, right? But there's also a warning. And watch what he says next. I just love this. He says, the companion of fools will suffer harm. You can think of this as the Mr. T verse of the Bible, right? I, I pity the fool. I pity the fool. Sorry, that was an 80s joke, so you have to be my age or older. To be, okay, we track with that. All right, here we go. Here we go. Now, notice what he doesn't say here. This is really interesting. He, he says, you want to be wise? Hang out with wise. If you hang out with fools, you'll become foolish? No, he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, you hang out with fools, and you're going to reap the consequences. Why the shift here? See, hang out with fools long enough, and eventually you will suffer the consequences, whether from your own bad decisions or the bad decisions of others. You see, some of us think, well, Aaron, I I know these aren't the kinds of things I should be involved in. I know these aren't the kind of people I should hang out with, but these are my friends, and so I'm just going to go along, and and, you know, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to participate, right? Whatever that, whatever, I mean, I'll just be with them, but I'm not going to do what they're doing, right? You think, well, I'll be all right. But eventually, Solomon says, look, it might not be immediate. It might not even be this week or next month, but eventually the consequences are going to come, and if you are close enough to that explosion, you will suffer the shrapnel. Companion of fools will suffer harm. If you keep company with fools, eventually the harm is going to come, he says. Now, why would we do this? If we know that hanging out with fools, people who are doing things that they know are going to lead to bad consequences, this is kind of a broad generalization, why would we spend time with them if we know that's coming? Like, we know better than this, right? We know that if we want to be wise, we should hang out with wise. Why would we hang out with fools? Well, here's the answer. Here's the answer. Because human beings, you and I, we are acceptance magnets. We are acceptance magnets. We are drawn to wherever we find acceptance right? And this is a little known secret in the world. Those of you in sales know this, that acceptance is actually what leads to influence. You see, when you and I find acceptance, first, we are so hungry. We are so drawn to acceptance. We so deeply long for it that if someone will accept us, we are willing to put up with all kinds of other stuff that goes against what we really want in life and what we really value. We're drawn to acceptance, But if we find our acceptance in the company of fools, of those going in the opposite direction of where we want to be headed, we will suffer harm. First point we learn about friendship. Our friendships matter. Your friends, those closest to you, will determine your future. Second point is this. Second point is this. A real friend, a real friend knows the real you. One of the simple truths about friendship that it, is that it, it requires honesty, vulnerability, and transparency. 
And this is kind of what Solomon was getting at in that proverb I read at the beginning, Proverbs 18.24. He puts it this way. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend, there is a kind of friend who sticks, who cleaves, who is, lives closer than a brother. You see, closeness by its definition requires vulnerability. If I'm going to be close to you, if we're going to have close relationship, I have to let you into a kind of proximity of my life. I have to let you in on the real me if we're actually going to be close. That's what it means to be close. In our day and age of filters, Photoshop, and the perfect selfie, this can be really hard, can't it? We want to control how others see us. We want to keep them at a safe distance so we can manage how they perceive us. We want to control the conversation. In fact, one of the fastest growing phobias, you can look this up too, one of the fastest growing phobias in our culture today, I'm not making this up, is what is called telephobia. Telephobia. What do you guess telephobia is? That's right, fear fear of talking on the phone. One of the fastest growing phobias in our life. And some of you are thinking, amen, Aaron. I, look, let's get rid of it, right? Telephobia is the reluctance or fear of making or taking phone calls. Isn't that interesting? Now, we kind of chuckle at this. I mean, some of y'all do. But uh, you know, you, you, this is what you do when a phone call comes in, right? You, say, you, you take out your phone and you're like, oh, and then you let it go to voicemail, which you don't listen to later anyway, right? And then you text the person back and you say, hey, what do you need, right? I mean, this is, I know how this is when I call y'all. You just, I know it rings forth. The real, excuse me, the real bad times when it goes to voicemail after one, I know you actually click the button to send me to voicemail, right? (laughs) See, we do this. And, And the reason we do this is because when we text, we are in control of the conversation. When we text, we can type out what we say, we can look at we can edit it, we can revise it, right? We can take our time. We're in control. The problem with a real phone conversation, we're not in control. We are vulnerable. It's funny, as I was thinking about this, it's almost as if in our culture we're losing the ability to really have a heart-to-heart connection with people. Because heart-to-heart connections happen face-to-face, not thumb-to-thumb. But we're losing the ability. But here's the truth. Here's the truth about human relationships. We may impress others with our strength, but we connect with others in our weakness. We may impress others with our strength, but we connect with others in our weakness. One of the most uh, remarkable scenes in all of the Gospels comes in John chapter 15. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. He gathers with his community group in an upper room to share a meal. And he's up there, and and he does the strangest thing in the midst of the meal. He, He changes clothes, and he picks up a bucket and a rag, and he begins going around person to person, one by one, washing their feet. Now, you don't have to know anything about foot washing in the ancient world to know that that is a vulnerable act, isn't it? That's an act of weakness. But that's the position Jesus chooses. And then after doing that, he sits down and listen to what he says about friendship to his community group right after having been vulnerable with them. He says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. 
for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus has shared his heart. Jesus has shared everything. Jesus has been vulnerable with his followers, his closest friends. And he invites them into friendship with him. Real friendship comes when we know each other's business. When we know what's really going on in each other's hearts and lives. And that's the kind of friendship we all long for. This friendship is available to experts, and it's available to young and old. It's available to anyone. Should we choose to share our hearts? Should we choose vulnerability with another human being? I love how Alan McGinnis describes it in his book, The Friendship Factor, probably the best book I've ever read on this subject. Highly recommend it. He writes this. He says, People with deep and lasting friendships may be introverts, extroverts, young, old, dull, intelligent, homely, good-looking, Duke fans or Carolina fans, but the one characteristic, that's in the revised version, but one characteristic they always have in common is their lack of a facade. They have a certain transparency allowing you to see what is in their hearts. A real friend knows the real you. Time out. How are you doing on this one? How are you doing? In the world of constructed selves, of perfect selfies, how are you doing sharing your heart, finding a space of vulnerability with a friend? Do you have friends who really know what's going on in your life? Or do you keep people at arm's distance where you can control the conversation? A real friend knows the real you. Point number three. For the note-takers, a real friend cares enough to say something. A real friend cares enough to say something. Listen to Proverbs 27, 6. It puts it this way. Wounds, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, some of your translations will say. Wounds from a a friend can be trusted. Oh, but an enemy multiplies kisses. See, one of the great challenges to real friendship is what would... What do we do when we come to a rough patch in our relationship? What do we do when we experience some bumps along the road? Because the reality is that any relationship, in any relationship, in any friendship, there will be conflict. There will be some difficult parts. There will be times we hurt each other or we disagree or we end up accidentally wounding each other. That's just what relationship is. And the question is, in that moment, will we address it Or will we just try to pretend it away, covering it with a multitude of kisses? Now, obviously, he doesn't mean actually kissing your friends here. This is not friends with benefits, okay? This is, is, yeah. I recently had a friend do this for me, very recently, and it meant the world to me. Uh, My friend had been working on a project, and um, I had made some careless and hurtful comments about it. I was unaware of the effect of my words, though I should have been more aware. But thankfully, my friend had the courage to come to me and talk to me about it. He said, Aaron, I need to share something with you. Remember when you made that comment about my project? I just need to let you know how it affected me, how it hurt me. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of that kind of conversation, but in that moment, that wounds me, right? In the moment, that stings, that hurts. 
but faithful are the wounds of a friend. He gave me the opportunity to understand what he had gone through and the opportunity to apologize. And then he did what is so amazing that we have because of Jesus. He offered me forgiveness. He said, Aaron, I forgive you. You see, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Will we have the courage to say something or will we try to cover it with a multitude of kisses? Now, I did not like being confronted about my carelessness in that moment, right? I don't like this. Did I like having to hear about how I hurt my friend? No. Do I like hearing about what a jerk I can be sometimes with my words? No, I don't like that. But you see, a friend desires what is best for me, which means he or she is willing to say something out of love. Sometimes when a friend confronts us lovingly, it can hurt. That's why the proverb calls them wounds. But these are wounds that can be trusted because they come from a friend who really cares. Summary on this point, uh, true friends want what is best for each other, and they are willing to speak a hard truth to each other when love calls for it. And the question is, here's the moment of reflection, do you have that kind of friend in your life? Do you have the kind of friend that is willing to speak the hard truth to you in love when it is what is in your best interest? Part two, are you the kind of friend who's willing to say something in love when it is motivated by what is best for your friend? A real friend cares enough to say something. Fourth point and finally, a real friend is in it for the long haul. I was thinking, I don't have this in my notes, I, I'd cut it, but I just, I, I gotta say it because I've been thinking about this so much. You know, one of the pastoral observations that I've had just in my life as a pastor is that one of the great challenges we face with friendships is we kind of want friendships now, right? We, we want what one author calls instimacy. We want like friend, add water, stir, poof, right? That's, you remember those little, the little sponge animals? Do they still make these where you can drop them in the sink and like they're little capsules and it dissolves and then they become big animals, right? That's what we want. We want like a little friend capsule, drop it in, poof, and there's your friend. And the problem is friendships don't work that way. Friendships take time to form. Friendships are formed over the long haul. There is no instant friendship. One of the greatest all-time writers on friendship was a 12th century Christian Celtic monk named Alred. Did I say that right? Alred. Is that close? I'm getting there, right? Uh, you, you create Alred. I love this guy. Uh, the Celts were known for their friendships. They were some of the most remarkable people of honor and the depth of friendship they enjoyed. So it's not surprising that when Alred was asked to boil friendship down to one single word, you know the word he chose? Loyalty. Friendship at its core, Allred said, is loyalty. And as proof of this, Allred actually cited Proverbs 17, 17. Listen to what it says there. A friend, a friend loves at all times. When does a friend love? A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. 
A friend, Allred said, is someone to whom you can entrust the secrets of your heart, but it does not stop there. He said that sometimes you may think of someone as a friend, but they are really only someone who is useful to you. Like people in your pyramid sales group. That's my addition. (laughs) See, Allred said, we can think... I'll be friends with you so long as I'm getting more out of this relationship than I'm having to put into it. We treat friendship like a cost-benefit analysis. And Allred says, at the end of the day, that is not friendship. Because friendship is loyalty. A real friend, Allred said, is other-focused, other-centered. A real friendship is rooted in love, not benefit. A real friendship has a kind of stick-with-it-ness that does not fade in times of difficulty and trouble. It's loyal, and you discover it as you walk through difficulty together. That's how real friendship is formed. Jesus put it this way to his friends as his final instruction. He said, My command is this. Guys, remember this one thing. Love each other as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Loyalty. And isn't that the kind of friendship we all ache for? A friend who will be with with us, be there through thick and thin. That 1 a.m. friend, you know the 1 a.m. friend. That's the person you call at 1 a.m. when you got no one else you can call. You call your mama, she's not even going to answer the phone at 1 a.m., right? Well, some of y'all mamas will because you're good mamas. But who's your 1 a.m.? Who's that person you know, oh, I can count on them no matter what? Isn't that the friendship we all long for? And can you imagine? Can you imagine for a minute if you had those kinds of friends in your life? If you had friends that that accepted you. If you had friends that knew you. Oh, they knew the deep parts of your heart. Friends that were committed to you through thick and thin. Can you imagine how your life might be different? Can you imagine if you could be that kind of friend to others? See, perhaps the most amazing thing regarding friendship in all the scriptures is that this is the relationship that Jesus offers us. You see, Jesus accepts us as we are. That is grace. You don't have to change one bit for Jesus to accept you and love you. Jesus knows us, and in spite of knowing the depths of us, he loves us and he offers us forgiveness, even when we don't hold up to our end of the friendship. And Jesus is so committed to what's best for us, that he laid down his own life for us, that we might be reconciled, that we might experience friendship with God. As the old hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. So today I want to end with just this. I want to give you a little invitation. I dare say a challenge, if you would so choose to take it. This will be Aaron's friendship challenge. If today, as you've been listening to me talk about friendship, you have felt that desire for friendship growing in you. 
I mean, some of y'all, you're doing this great. Some of y'all have amazing friends. Some of y'all are amazing friends. But for those who felt a a deep, growing desire for real friendships in your life, what if you took up this challenge? Two steps, ready? Step number one. What if you prayed today and said, God, would you surround me with the kind of people that are the kind of people I long to become? Would you give me friends that would help me become the kind of person I long to become? And the second part of that prayer, God, would you help me to open myself up to them, to allow them to really know me? Prayer. That can't hurt too much, right? You can do that quietly under your own breath in just a minute. I'll lead us in that. But there's a second step, and this is the real challenge part. What if you were to take a step this week in the direction of friendship? Maybe it's somebody who's already in your life. Some of you think, gosh, I would really love to have a friendship with that person. What if you just called them up? Okay, you can text them. That's fine. Text them, text them, whatever you want, right? What if you were just to say to them, hey, listen, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I, I just really like you, uh, and I'd love to ha- grow, grow in my friendship with you. Would you be interested in that? Because, see, you're going to need a plan, right? Friendships don't happen by accident. They happen over the long haul. You're going to have some, have some intentionality in that relationship. But what if you just took a step in that direction? Maybe you don't have that relationship in your life. Maybe, maybe the, the dinners for seven or eight is the step for you. What if you just said, okay, God, I'm going to pray that you'll surround me with people, and then I'm going to go to that crazy church dinner thing and just see what happens. What if God was to bring people around you that could be real friends in your life? There is a kind of friendship that is closer than a brother. Will you have the courage to seek that? Let's pray.